Coach Taku. Making anime your new life coach. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of Coach Taku. And I'm I'm Mary and I'm here with the lovely Christina and we're going to have an awesome conversation today around our impact and what that means for ourselves and the people around us. And we're going to be exploring this through the lens of looking at two different animes, Sword Art Online, aka SAO, and Land of the Lustrous. So I wanted to start with having a conversation around what does it mean? What does our impact mean? What does it mean by that? And I think there's a very uh, specific way we look at it in coaching. And basically, there's the automatic ways that we have to react into certain situations that we know how we're going to be in certain situations. I mean, picture yourself maybe um, talking to customer service for you know your phone or some kind of utility, and you know how you're going to be in that situation versus choosing how you're going to act and be in that moment. And that's a conversation that we're going to look at today through these two different animes. And Christina, do you have more to add to that? Yeah, I am super excited for this impact conversation because one thing that I want to get super clear on up front is I think a lot of people, especially those interested in personal development, think that automatic is wrong and transformed and incredible is good. And While you're listening to this, what I want you to consider, especially for the characters that we've chosen to talk about this concept, is automatic isn't a bad thing. It's just predictable. Like it's automatic that you're a people pleaser. It's automatic that you put yourself before others. It's automatic that you can be airheaded or not care about how things go. And the conversation that we're going to have is just noticing when characters start to choose something different on purpose. They choose to be leaders. They choose to care about others. They choose to uh, take on new levels of responsibility. And yeah, so that's what I would add. And I'm super excited to get started with it. And before we do, like we mentioned, we're going to talk about SAO and Land of the Lustrous. So before we dive into things, I figured I'd kick us off with a little synopsis of Land of the Lustrous. If you haven't seen it, please do. It is visually stunning. It is one of the most gorgeous shows I've ever watched, and I already have a thing for watching visually stunning shows. And it is essentially about a world way into the future that is inhabited by sentient gems, you know, diamonds, rubies, sapphires, known as lustrous. And it follows the main character of Phos, or Phosphophilite, and her adventures living in this world as the lustrous defend themselves from these creatures known as Lunarians, aka these enemy forces that try to collect the gems for decorative purposes. Yeah, it is. I started watching it after Christina and I talked about it, and it is just the animation in this. And there is one specific character that Christina and I also talked about earlier today, Diamond. I mean, just the shine on that. Who doesn't like diamonds? But the shine and the sparkle that diamond carries is just 
you have to watch it. You have to see it for yourself and then comment and let us know what you think. But um, do you want to get started with that one, Christina, and then we'll talk about SAO? Sure, why not? So tell me about Fos. Yeah, so like I said, Fos, she's the main character. She's the youngest of the lustrous at a, a sweet, unripened 300 years old. And I think what's really cool about the show overall is they have this way of depicting the physical appearances and the physical properties of the gems with the qualities of, of, their, of their personalities. And so something to know about phospholite as a mineral is it's very brittle. And so sure enough, Fos as a character is very fragile. Like she's simultaneously the whiny crybaby of the group and she's literally incapable of fighting or defending against Lunarians because if you almost just like flicker, like ching, just like a tiny little bit, usually like a finger will crack off or like her, her face will shatter. It, it uh, ends up being very great visual comedy. And I think the reason why Fos is a great character to talk about when we talk about owning our impact is because like I mentioned, She's very childish. And so from her automatic, she can come off as selfish, immature, and even at times not always thinking about others. And you really see that in all the scenarios where other lustrous have to come to her rescue, especially Bort, who's probably one of the most disciplined and serious characters of the series. Um, anything else about Fos's automatic that maybe I left out, Mary, that you've noticed? Well, I think one of the things that struck me, and we'll talk about SAO in a little bit, but I think one of the things that struck me about Fos was just like, here they live in this world where they're constantly being attacked by the Lunarians, and death is imminent or destruction. And Fos is just like, well, I'm brittle anyway. So who can, like what, you know, I think part of it is like, what power does she actually have? And she relates to herself that way. Like she can't fight, she can't defend, she breaks at any touch. So she's like, in in a way, I think her automatic is almost like, I give up, you know? And I don't care. I mean, what value do I have here? Yeah. And so I think actually what you're talking about, Mary, even talks to like, why would we even choose anything other than from what we already know? And what you come to realize in the series is part of what has folks start to think about others a little more than just herself or why she should live kind of like her timid little fragile life is her, I want to say love. I'm going to call it love. If you want to say infatuation or curiosity, if you're not comfortable in saying it, but her love of Cinnabar, the, the attractiveness of Cinnabar and then Cinnabar's, you know, loneliness. And so in this, oh, were you going to add something to that, Mary? And so in this, I think what's amazing is you have this moment where for the first time, Fos really looks at another lustrous as almost more unfortunate than her in a way, because Cinnabar is one of the most powerful, but she's also dangerous. Like she'll literally corrode other lustrous if they get too close to her. And it's this desire to have her not feel alone that causes Fos to actually go out and start to transform herself and just transform where she comes from. Yeah, that was beautifully put. And one of the things that is also really cool about this anime is the gender roles are so, they're, um, 
they're so flexible, I guess, for lack of a better word. And you'll see themselves call themselves female and male in different parts, which is really cool. Um, so I totally recommend to watching this anime for a host of different reasons. But yeah, I think there's something about Cinnabar's isolation and almost like wanting to be saved, wanting a way out that really inspires folks to uh, see a, a gap or a need. And she says, well, maybe this is where I have a role. Maybe this is where I have impact. Maybe I can actually help her in this space. And that actually inspires her to do something different and start her whole journey there. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why I love this series is, again, I am such a sucker for shows that have the visual storytelling run parallel to like the internal storytelling. And so literally what happens to Fos after she starts to have this contemplation, she dissolves. Like her entire body as we know it is broken down and it's turned into something different. And that leads me to the part of like owning impact and even transforming your impact, which in Fos's case is transforming herself from childish, always thinking of herself, not really thinking of others, to becoming more of a leader, to becoming more powerful. And literally the way that the show depicts her becoming more powerful and her not just thinking of herself is her body becomes made of other types of gems and minerals. So it's literally not just about her anymore. It is about others. Like she is more than just phosphophyllite. She is all these different elements that are coming together and it, it gives her access to choosing different parts of herself and being different about things. Okay, Christina, serious question for you. Serious coaching question coming your way. If you could name Fosa's survival mechanism, what would you call it? Ooh, real quick while I'm thinking, do you want to define what a survival mechanism is for our listeners? Because I don't know if we ever have. Oh, all right. So that is your automatic way of being. So. Uh, in, in especially like in the way that we were trained in AC, we have a, a specific exercise where we get to name our survival mechanisms, really fun things. And they're usually opposites where one is like, uh, it, it's kind of like, what is your, what is your highest and best? What is part of your greatness? And the other part of it is like, well, what's that automatic reaction that's maybe not quite empowered, but that comes out anyway. So I'll give you one of mine as an example. One of my favorites is pissed off prom queen. So you see the power in the prom queen, but imagine a pissed off prom queen. And, you know, you have that kind of dynamic where they kind of go against each other. Yeah. And I think with that in mind, for me, it's in so many ways, I think Fosta's survival mechanism has got to be like the ambitious crybaby or like, the reckless porcelain doll. Like there's the part of her that yearns for adventure and seeks it out. I think it's why she creates such a great relationship with Antarctite uh, during the winter as well. And at the same time, like she is this fragile little crybaby. Like sometimes I have to like lower my volume because the voice actor has such a gift for getting that whiny, nasally, nosy little sibling. <laughs> It's adorable and infuriating. And I think those are the two parts of her that she uh, struggles with is like, ha like she has a lot of ambition, but she's also really young and juvenile about all of it. Um, which I think kind of brings me to 
like the final piece that I want to talk about with FOS before we move over to SAO, which is really about, again, that it's not that FOS should give up being childlike, because what you notice in her journey is as she becomes more serious, as she assimilates and takes on more minerals and, you know, redevelops her body in different ways, the lustrous even notice it. Like they comment on, on missing Fos's joy. And, and I think it's an important thing to notice because you can swing too far in the other direction. Like you can swing too far in having an impact that's so different from what you used to have. And it's okay, but I think it's also like important to not lose sight of who you are and, and who you want to be, but instead to just integrate all the pieces of you, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's beautiful, especially as it relates to the specific anime where literally you see them be, be pieces, especially foes, as she's like gathering all these different minerals into herself. And it's like, you ask yourself, what is the integration? and who how do you define yourself you know specifically um and i think one of the beautiful things about both sao and then the lustrous and why we chose these two together was because we saw in this two worlds in which survival is at its peak you know these the characters all are about survival because they're either getting attacked and they have to defend or in sao um you you could die you know, it's a game, but it's not a game. It turns out at one point that the developer goes and says, okay, if you lose all your, um, if you lose all your life, you're dead. You're dead in this game and you're dead in the real life. Um, and I think that actually creates the space where you can look at survival mechanism in a different way. Yeah. And speaking of looking at survival mechanism in a different way, I think this is a perfect transition to Sword Art Online because Spoiler alert, when Mary first brought up even talking about this show, I, I vomited a little in my mouth <laughs> because uh, Kirito, the beloved protagonist that we'll chat about in a little bit, and his survival mechanism was so off-putting to me as a viewer that I didn't even want to watch the rest of the series. So talk about having an impact that may not be what you intend. Um, but before we dive in, Mary, do you want to share a little synopsis of what SAO is about? Yeah, so for you gamers out there, SAO takes place in the MMO world, like multiplayer online game. So think uh, Final Fantasy XIV or World of Warcraft. And the really cool thing about this specific game is that it's all virtual and you are fully immersed and you can move within the world. And who doesn't want to play a game like that as a gamer? I mean, I'm just waiting for the day this comes out. So uh, the interesting thing about this specific game is that you go, it's the first one of its kind, it's launched and our main character Kirito's in there and he's played the beta version of the game so he has some like insider knowledge and just as they're launching on their first day the developer comes in and says okay if you die you're gonna die in the real world like your brain will get fried as if it were a microwave because everyone is wearing a helmet that basically gives them access to the VR world. And so you see all the characters within this game start to panic and react differently because now they know that it's some, some go into disbelief, some get really angry, some start to cry, and you see all these different reactions. And the whole story is like trying to beat the game so that they can all go back to, the, to reality, quote unquote. 
Yeah. And so speak, you, you hit the nail on the head earlier of Kirito is launched into a world that is just about survival. Not a lot of access to choosing who you want to be, totally just about being who you have to be to stay alive. And so if we were going to characterize some of the survival instinct or that automatic for Kirito, what do you see, Mary? So I think Kirito is someone who, um, I think he's a really complex character, to be honest with you. And I think that's why I liked him for this. Because if you just were to meet him today, I think he'd come off as a douchebag for the most part. He's very off-putting. He's very isolated. He has, I know it better than you do, and I can probably do it better than you do out than you do, which is really, uh, which creates a separation for him. And I think one of the reasons he does that is because he doesn't like confrontation. And in the specific world, he has more abilities and he has more life and he has more skills because he's played the game before. So he has more knowledge than other people do. And as a result, others in this world look at him as a cheater or someone who's better equipped to beat the game and to beat them to um, skills, weapons, resources that they may not have as easy access to. So his isolation creates this really hardcore, assholy, douchebaggy <laughs> survival mechanism. Hence my total disinterest in getting to know anything about him. But nonetheless, you know, it is a great series. Paul, my husband, adores SAO. Like, he and Mary can go on and on for hours about it. And so to, to whip in my own, like, total coach question here, Mary, like, what do you think that survival mechanism, like that douchebag attitude, what, what do you think that's covering up or hiding that Kirito maybe doesn't want people to see or isn't even present to himself? Honestly, I think as we follow his journey, he really yearns for connection. Like, he, he, even before his life within the game, he was really isolated. He spent most of his time on computers, and he was hardcore introvert. And I think he yearned to really connect with people in a different way, but without knowing really how to do it. So, and now he's in this game where he has to survive and other people are looking at him a certain way. And so to avoid confrontation, he just does more of what he already knows to keep you isolated instead of trying to create a bond. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, earlier we were noticing how with Foss, she went from the immature childlike automatic to leader, responsible, powerful. And for her, that breaking point was caring about another person. So for Kirito, what do you think was finally the the event that triggered his own let's 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 actually have a choice here. Let's express something different. And what did that new expression look like for him? I think honestly for him it was kind of like this inward journey and there was definitely a catalyst. But I think early on in the series, if you watch it and you know it, he, he joins the guild, I think, looking for that connection. And he was a really high level. He was like in his 70s and the guild was in their 20s, which is in gaming a really big difference. Um, and he didn't tell them the truth. And as a result, his guild ended up dying and he felt responsible for that. So that created more of the isolation. But you can see how he's starting to reach out and trying to connect to others. And then there are these moments where he just can't help himself. Like I think part of his essence is just kindness. And so he can't help himself when he sees someone in trouble or in need and he wants to step in and rescue. 
And I think the the one thing that actually pushed him completely in the other direction was Asuna, who is like this gorgeous female character who's a great swordsman. And she's part of one of the strongest skills who's trying to beat the game. But Asuna is really different from Kirito in the way that she'll just jump in. She won't hesitate. She'll just jump in. And I think his adm- admiration for her and also her, she doesn't really give him a choice in many, in many ways, just kind of propels him to choose differently and to have access to a different way of living. Wow. You make him sound so much better. I'm almost convinced to give him a second shot. Almost. Um, <laughs> You're almost. welcome. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> Thinking. Well, we'll see if I put it into action. But in the meantime, similarly, I loved that question of what what to name these characters' survival mechanism. If you were going to name Kirito's, uh, the thing that immediately came up for me is the charitable douchebag. Yeah, I was thinking something. I was like, kind-hearted douchebag. <laughs> like, you know, like there is that generosity, there is that kindness, and you see it more as the story develops. And like, there was this beautiful scene towards the end of the series of you know like the first series where his friend Klein uh they met early on they met episode one but uh Kirito was still in his douchebaggy SM and he was like no I'm not gonna play with you because you're gonna hold me back and he felt responsible he regretted that choice throughout the whole entire series he regretted having turned his friend away but there comes a part later on where he connects with Klein again and they're in a dungeon and this different guild is going to attack a boss, which they're not equipped to do. They don't have the numbers or the skills and the players are depleted. And he actually jumps in to help. And when Klein sees that, he says, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> you know, and you have this moment where you can tell that Klein is really present to the transformation that Kizo has had over this. And he's like, I'm really proud that you stepped in. It was great to see. And you're like, yeah, me too. Because here's such a strong character that can make a difference. And it's pretty awesome to see his impact when he starts choosing differently. Mm. I think that's a really beautiful note to start to wrap up this episode on. And as we get ready to come to a close here, you know, in this conversation around impact, noticing who we are automatically, you know, choosing to come from a bigger, better part of ourselves, you know, any last thoughts here, either for the series or for the concept as a whole? Well, I think you, you, we spoke about it and you touched on it, Christina. It's like, neither is wrong or bad. You know, there's no right or wrong in this conversation. It's just, who are you choosing to be in this moment? And what can you see about your impact and the choices that you're making about how you're being? So I think the anime is great to like illustrate those, but what, I'm curious to see what are your see for themselves in it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other door that we opened in this conversation is you hinted at it, Mary. There are a lot of video games that have great personal development themes in them. And the thing that I want to know is should we cover them? And if your answer is yes, which it should be, should we start with Kingdom Hearts? And your answer should also already be yes. There's also Final Fantasy XIV, and there's also Fire Emblem. Um, Okay, just let us know. Yeah, and (laughs) so (laughs) let us know from this episode if you notice any automatics that you have and how you could choose differently, and if we should start talking about video games, and if so, which ones we should start with. And we're playing video games with you. Don't forget Mm. to subscribe. Follow us on Coach Taku Pod. And until next time.
yeah, see you next time, guys. Take care. Thank you for watching Coach Taku. If you liked this episode, please share it and consider subscribing so you never miss a new episode. Have an idea for an episode or show you'd love us to discuss? DM us on our Insta, Coach Taku Pod, C O H C H T A C U P O D, or email us at CoachTakupod at gmail.com. Love your wonderful host? In that case, you can follow me, Christina, at HereXtinaRoar on Instagram, and you can follow Mary at Raven5130 on Instagram. Thanks so much. Catch you in the next one.